We've talked a lot over the last year and a half about the stress and anxiety levels of workers and staff. Nick Policy of Policy Consulting Group has been working with senior executives and managers on how to recognize mental health issues and strategies to make sure their staff is supported as they come back to work. Hi, Nick. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking to me today. Uh, I wanted to talk today about the kind of the mental health that managers and supervisors are experiencing because of obviously because of COVID, um, remote working, people coming back to work now. I'm really interested to hear about how managers are coping because they are the people who are going to have to be vigilant, I guess, about mental health. So what are you hearing? What's the general feeling for managers as we're moving out of total remote and into more uh, people working at the office? Well, thank you, Janice. And uh, first of all, let me say hello and thank you for having uh, me on your program. Um, you know, COVID hit in March of 2020 and starting around November of 2020, I started to work very closely with managers and supervisors and uh, give them some tools and techniques by listening to some of the challenges that they were facing or think they're going to face moving forward as people start coming back into the workplace. And uh, I've been on this for about 11 months. And um, the good news is, is that the leadership techniques that leaders ought to consider post-pandemic have been part of good leadership practices for the past 30 years. But what the pandemic has done, it has made these techniques so important that our leaders uh, to our leaders' lives that they can no longer be ignored. And let me tell you what I'm hearing. And this goes from... Uh, from working in California to Florida to Vancouver to Nova Scotia. I've worked almost throughout all of North America. Approximately 25% of supervisors that I speak to go to work and anticipating in some way, shape, or form having to intervene in at least one employee altercation in an eight-hour shift. And I, I make these supervisors acutely aware of the fact that every time they approach employees about a challenge that they are having, in the back of their mind, they must be cognizant of the fact that this could be stage one of a very serious escalating situation. And it doesn't appear that this issue is going away at any time in the near future. As productivity increases in order to meet customer demands, as people suffer from mental health issues, as supervisors are charged with more responsibility and expectations, as masks are required in the workplace if people don't want to wear them, and as others learn that co-workers have not been vaccinated and or refuse to be vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, it is putting more pressure on first and second line supervisors our first and second line leaders. And first line uh, leaders are what I call supervisors, second line leaders are the managers that the supervisors report to. And they both share the same problems. They both share the same challenges. It's like they're going to, they're going to deal with them on a different playing field. And, uh, you know, we look at uh, uh, the MGI, the McKinsey Global Institute, um, they're a research institute that help uh, private and public sector organizations develop a deeper understanding of the global economy. 
and provide critical information to these sectors in the decision-making process. Their research reports that 57% of all organizations of over 500 employees report that burnout is the primary driver pushing workers to look for relief in some form of a new job, work flexibility, or leave in the form of sick leave. And Jessica Ferguson, a well-respected coach out of Ottawa, calls this the great resignation. And supervisors are dealing with this on a daily basis. We always knew, we always knew in the back of our minds that as business leaders, pre-COVID, we were pushing our people and working them hard. We, they were leading a chaotic lifestyle. We expected a lot from them. But what COVID has now forced us to look at is the current lifestyle and has forced us to reevaluate what is important to us. And I'm calling this the leadership awakening. It forces us as business leaders to shift what we do and how we do it. And first-line leaders are now flexing their work hours and their personal life uh, with the latter being the number one priority. And uh, what you'll find is that uh, leaders are starting to refocus. They're starting to transform conversations in connecting with purpose. And um, it, I, I look at this in terms of refocusing. I look at this as being people having a much more, supervisors having a much more clear sense of identity. And we're asking supervisors now, as people come back into the workplace, and uh, may, I, may I add to this, may I add to this, in a recent poll, before I even get to that, in a recent poll by MGI, it showed that 24% of all working Canadians want to work from home. Now, this is probably okay if you're in an office environment, probably not okay if you're in a shop floor environment. But the supervisors, when we talk about supervisors, we're talking about both sectors. So they're going to have to deal with both. So 24% of all, all working Canadians want to work from home. 69% prefer three days a week from home. And 7% prefer going back to the office. So what does that mean? It means the way we manage our work environment and lead our people will be somewhat different. And this is a very new battlefield uh, for for our for, for our leaders. So that's interesting because I had heard that. Uh, I guess there's been maybe some shifting. Maybe you can you can um, talk about that. It seems that there's a little bit of shifting back and forth between I want to work remotely and I want to go back to the office because we've all we've always thought. I'd love to work at home. Oh, if I didn't have to go to the office, it would be so fantastic. Right. Then all of a sudden, you have to work at home. And mm. you're finding out if you're a parent that there's, you know, there's that added stress with your kids. And of course, over COVID, that was when your kids were at home, that was a big deal. But I've heard, and I think you were talking a little bit about that, that people now are more interested in the hybrid. That is correct. Work, work yeah, week. That's which, right. Which must put, uh, I mean, again, you, you kind of like, oh, well, it was COVID and we have to get through this. But now now I hear you saying supervisors 
are going to have to change the way they work with their teams mm-hmm. permanently because of mental health issues, because we're getting a better understanding of that. And do That's, you think that that will continue or is this something that, yeah, you know what, we got to get on this as people come back to work and then it just sort of fades away again? Well, I think this is part of the new norm. I, I really do. I really do. As a matter of fact, you know, if you look at it, um, call centers, especially credit card call centers, uh, they've, they've had customer service representatives working from home for the last seven or eight years. This isn't new. But it was never so prevalent and people didn't recognize it. They said, well, that's okay. It's a call center. It's a financial institution. In our world, it won't work. We don't have to address it. Well, now we do have to address it. And for people that work from home, supervisors are going to have three key challenges. Motivating virtual teams, upgrading education in a virtual environment, and mental health issues. Mental health issues don't go away. And the hybrid environment will work because I believe that people still crave the personal touch. I think when people work from home and they work alone, and I'm not an expert here in mental health, you probably know a lot more than I do. People with mental health challenges, this is only going to exacerbate the problem working from home. The personal touch, being able to walk over to talk to people face-to-face is part of our human DNA. And it's very rare, uh, well, 24% of all working Canadians want to work from home. But what that also tells me is that 76% of all Canadians want that personal touch. And um, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that... um, When we were not knowing what the new normal was, and I guess from a work perspective, we're now getting a little closer to what that might be. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of talk about, you know, meeting at the water cooler, which is is what you're talking about. But then there was this sense that if you had a meeting, there could only be four people in a room instead of 10 and you'd be wearing masks and Mm -hmm. and, you know, the 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 distancing um, at your office would be quite significant from desk to desk or office to office. And so, in fact, if you went back to work, you weren't feeling that same personal touch. But I do know um, in in some sense, uh, people who have a lot of anxiety are, are, are not wanting to go back to work because their anxiety has gotten to a point where it actually feels easier to stay home. Right. And that's very true. The fear is. But how how does a manager now, you know, we're talking about managers and supervisors who are not mental health professionals. Right. But they need to be able to recognize if the if a if a an employee is having um, some sort of whether it's a low level anxiety that they never had or they're anxious and over, you know, their anxiety level has gone over the top. How does a supervisor recognize that? Well, that goes to one of the, and that goes to one of the key strategies. The first key strategy that I talk about is refocusing. Uh, it's uh, supervisors having a clear sense of identity. What I try to coach and counsel supervisors on is this. You must have more interactions with your coworkers. Keep them in the information loop at all time. Remind them that they are important and what they do is important. 
And you are now the 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 C uh, the CEO. I call it the chief empathy officer. Ha- nurture relationships to get the job done. Talking to your people on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, North American leaders pre-COVID scored in a poll done by Glassdoor in the low 25 percentile on this exact communication uh, uh, method prior to COVID. They scored low. This is going to be new. You know, we've always operated, but a lot of our supervisors and frontline leaders have operated for the fact, well, no news is good news. If you don't hear from me, you're doing a good job. <laughs> and, now, right. and now people, that's not going to wash anymore. That's not going to wash with people. Uh, the other thing is provide clarity and purpose around the new norms, whatever they may be. And remember, the new norm will be dynamic. For the next 18 to 24 months, which means it's going to change. And this is where I talk to people and I say to supervisors, change is situational, but transition is psychological. And there's a difference between the two. And your communication style has to change to meet that specific point in time. And In order to treat people equally, you have to treat them differently because they are. And you can have 10 people reporting to you, and you've got to be 10 different people at at, almost within an hour because people need different things. And reconnecting with purpose is important. And involvement is critical to the overall success of the business unit. This is what we're finding out as people start to come back to the workforce. And now some people never left the workforce, but what happens, staff, and I'll talk about a manufacturing environment first where people are on the line. We had 30 people on the line. We trimmed it to 20. We spaced them out. We had four different breaks, five people in the room at the same time, all spaced out. But now people are starting to come back. That 20 is now getting closer to 25 and 30. Now we're getting back to some new normal, whatever that may be. People are coming back into the workplace with some mental health challenges. And that's not to say that people who weren't in the workplace didn't have these challenges before. Some organizations, what they've done in conjunction with their HR staff, they've created what I call a coaching cafe. Uh, PHM brand, flour milling uh, out of Denver, Colorado, and Viobin, they make CBDs, CBD oils. What What they've introduced is something called coaching cafes, where there are safe places for supervisors to meet with other supervisors and talk about the challenges that they are facing in what has and haven't worked in the workplace. And the proactive supervisors are now taking these coaching cafes and bringing them down as a communication technique to relate to their people. So they get together, they space out and say, okay, what are we doing well? What are we doing not so well? What do we need to let go? What do we need to bring back? The refocusing also means cognizant as to the number of people that a supervisor has, what they're responsible for. And I've suggested 
to a couple of my clients. 12 is the magic number here. We used to have 25 and 30 direct reports. You can't have that anymore. You can't have that. Um, people need a little bit more of your time. I call this, as a matter of fact, I wrote an article about three or four months ago called Servant Leadership, where, trend, where traditional leadership, the main focus has always been on the company and the success of the company based on matrix or based on metrics. Now, servant leadership is to serve and not command. Servant leadership inverts the norm and puts the employee first and the customer first, where the supervisor says, how can I best help you? A, do your job. B, how can I best help you get through the day? C, how can I best help you get the help you want? This is such a radical change. I, I mean, it's like a 180 degree flip. And I'm sure there's a lot of supervisors out there who a, maybe don't feel they can do it. They may feel this ad, adds hugely to their their right. workload um, and, and, and can't really adapt. But like you said, they have to. There's just there's just no no doubt about it. They have to. And let's talk about men for for a second. I'm sorry. Let's talk about men. Man, for a yeah. second, women are much more likely to come forward um, and, and, and even to talk to their coworker, let's say, mm -hmm. because you can get a lot of support from your coworker. Mm -hmm. Men um, still are their their level of comfort in talking about a mental health issue is way below that because Correct. it shows weakness. Mm -hmm. But we have seen more and more athletes come out and uh and talk about their mental health issues. And Carrie Price, the goalie from the Montreal Canadiens, right. mm -hmm. I think that people, I mean, you know, he's a like a top of the, you know, top, top, top goalie. I was, you know, probably Canadian team goalie. Does that make a difference? Do you think that will make a difference in the workplace for men to actually be able to say, oh, okay, I think I can talk about this? I think it does. I think it does. I think. I think what I found over the last six to eight months is that uh, men are more willing to show their vulnerability. Uh, you know, and vulnerability. Uh, you know, it's all it's about vulnerability, not so much about ego. Uh, willing to show their emotions, allow one's weaknesses to be seen, willing to take uh, take risks and potentially being attacked. Because uh, you know, when I say being attacked. I'm not, I'm not talking about a physical attack, but something, you know, another coworker might say, hey, you can't hack it. Eh? But other coworkers aren't, aren't that abrupt as they used to be. I find coworkers to be much more empathetic. And it starts from the top down. If the management group make mental health a priority, a priority that filters down to the supervisor and that filters down to the employee. But if they don't make it a priority, you're always going to have a high level of absenteeism. You're always going to have productivity issues. You're going to have efficiency issues. And sooner or later, you have to address that. You have to address that. Prior to, prior to COVID, we could pick and choose who we wanted to. 
But you know, where's all the talent gone? One of my most recent, uh, one of my most uh, recent articles. What I'm finding is that as people leave the workforce, there's nobody to replace them. You know, and that includes supervisors because what's happening is that people in the workplace look at their supervisors and they look at the challenges the supervisors are facing right now. You know what they're saying? Man, I don't want to be a supervisor. I don't want that problem. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't want that in my life. Yeah, I'll I'll take less money, but I'll work my 40 hours a week and I'll work a little bit of overtime here and there. And if I need to spot work, I can always do a job at the side. Okay, people people are more cognizant of that. What is happening now, work-life, no longer balance, is work-life integration. And there's a big difference between balance and integration in the minds of people. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, How how do I, well, let's go back to the 24% that are working from home. Okay. They're working at work-life integration. Um, You know, I don't want to start at nine and finish at five. If I start at 9.30 or 8.30, get the kids off to school, then I can have a bit of a break and I can jump in my car or I can go shopping for a half an hour, get back. Uh, you know, continue on with my work, and maybe I work till six. Maybe I work till six. It's integration more than balance. In other words, it's okay if my work day is 12 hours or 11 hours, but it doesn't have to be 11 or 12 hours all at one time. I can break it out. I still do my eight hours. I still do my eight hours or my eight and a half, whatever the case may be, but I do it at different times. And that's what I mean by integration. It also, back in the workplace, let's take people that have to be at work. I find that people now that are at work, they take longer lunch breaks, no longer 30 minutes, 45, 50 minutes. What do you do? We go for a walk. We go for a walk. I just want to get out. I want to get out. I just want to go for a walk around the block. All right. So I want to want to put my headphones on and go for a walk. And there's nothing wrong with that, where people are now starting to look at their well-being and their life goals. And there's an inherent value into what they do. It's not always company first. Well, I would think productivity would be much higher if if your mental health, for example, during the day to be able to go for, uh, you know, like, let's get breathing and and take my mind off my job maybe like you said listen to music i would think when they come back to work their productivity for the afternoon whether they're at home or whether they're on the you know in the office mm-hmm. would be better because uh-huh. they i mean you and i know when you work through lunch and you just get too much in your brain and then you can't somehow you just you, you can't get out of it you get into this this cycle and you can't get out of it and then you don't even know what's happening because it's every day that's correct. You're absolutely right. You're bang on the money there. That's there's no doubt in my mind. That's true. There's no doubt, no doubt in my mind. Uh, I think that uh, people are more productive under that environment. Uh, the maybe the more traditional leaders may think differently. However, I I beg to differ. Well, the company who succeeds, I guess, is the company who recognizes um, the, the mental health struggles and and how much 
you know, reaching out and having services to help their employees will actually improve their productivity, which then improves the bottom line. Nick, right. thanks so so much for for uh, for talking to me today. I learned a lot about um, what supervisors, like I said, you know, we haven't talked a lot about what supervisors and managers and CEOs will face as they try to deal with uh, with the new normal. So I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Janice. I really do appreciate it. Thank you.